Hey everybody, what's going on? I'm Trevor Noah. I'm David Kibuka. And we are so excited to bring you this episode of the Trevor Noah podcast from Luminary. This one is from our first season of the podcast, but I think it's a good time to share it. For more episodes of the Trevor Noah podcast, check out Luminary, a subscription podcast network with original shows you won't find anywhere else. We have dozens of episodes up on Luminary right now, plus all new conversations coming September 2nd. So sign up and start listening with a seven-day free trial at luminary.link slash trevanoah. Not available in all markets. Terms apply. From Luminary Media, this is On Second Thoughts with Trevor Noah. I'm Trevor Noah, joined today by my good friend, David Kibuka. Welcome back, David. Hey, Trevor. How are you doing? Police is what I wanted to talk to you about today. As someone who's been arrested many times in multiple countries on multiple continents, I thought you would have a lot to add to this conversation. I haven't been arrested on multiple continents. I like that you had to think of that. I've been arrested (laughs) in two different countries. What were were you arrested for in South Africa? Having too many tickets. You can't just say you know having too many tickets. Okay, having too many unpaid traffic fines. Do you know how we are in South Africa? Why are you pretending that... No, 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 no. Why are you putting me in? What? Why are you putting me in? I've paid all my tickets. I've paid all my... In fact, I didn't get tickets. Why? Ah, Because I knew how to speak to the police. Oh, okay, yeah. So... What were your tickets for? Some were for speeding. Not a lot of speeding, because as we know... In your car. Yeah, my car, it could go fast. Good Lord. (laughs) To try and give you an idea of David's car in, in South Africa, David insisted on preserving, I guess for some museum, a a <laughs> Mazda, I think Miata. in America they call it a Miata. Yes, a Miata. Yes, but it was truly, like if you saw it drive down the road, you'd be like, oh, I think it's, <laughs> it's headed to a junkyard or, oh, is that like a, like it's a museum piece, but not like a preserved museum piece. I'll be honest, the fact that any woman got into that car without like texting her friends her location it blew my mind. It was a testament to my charm and uh, and because I'm a nice guy. But anyway, that car had a lot of fines. There were some speeding fines. You're thinking of speeding like at, on the highway. Yes. Because you can speed like in front of a school and stuff. So your Mazda Miata was flying in front of schools. <laughs> so, so like, so those, like that kind of like. Okay. Okay. Yes. So speeding and? Speeding in slow places. Yes. The car not being legal. Oh, and the, yes. And okay. the car being legal sometimes. Because remember, <laughs> so you'd get like a license plate. I'd yes. get a license plate. Right. The car's registered. Yes. Yeah, your registration. And then the cops would stop me because they would just go like, there's something wrong going on here. Oh, yeah. Because basically it's like you had, it's almost like fermenting milk, but then the best before date is valid. Yes. That's what, that was your car. Yes. That was essentially your yes. car. Yes. And so the they cops would... were like, this best before date is false because I can see the lumps inside this milk. Yes. And you're like, it's completely fresh. Yes, exactly. So then what would happen was they would stop me and then they would go, they're stopping me for one reason. Right. Because they're going like, surely this car's not legal. Yes. And then they would just search for things. And then they would find another thing that's not legal. Not a, yes. not like a dead body or anything. Right. But like a, uh, they would be like, how come, okay, show us all your, switch on all of your lights. Yes. What's weird for me is to try and explain to like friends and people in America what a cool relationship we have with our police in South Africa, for the most part. Yes. Because I mean, like police in every country have a different relationship with the citizens everywhere in the world. It's different. 
Because you know what? What I what I enjoy when I travel the world is meeting different police and seeing how differently they interact. Like I remember going to England for the first time. There were like some kids who were starting fights in Piccadilly Circus. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, you yeah, were there, right? I remember that. So there was a there's a group of kids, and there were this huge, huge fights starting. And it was about sixteen kids, and everyone was it was a big brawl. And the policemen came, and police in England don't have guns. And this cop came, and he literally all he could do is he blew his whistle, and he was like, "Stop that! Stop that! Excuse me, you stop that! Everybody, stop that! You, oi, 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 oi!" And then the kids stopped it. Our minds were blown. Completely, Completely blown. blown. I remember me and you looking then, we were just like, did that guy only have words at his disposal? Yeah. What was more interesting to me was that after a certain number of stop that, the kids stopped it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's almost like they were like, geez, like we've just been stopped. Yes. Or we need to, this guy just irritating us. So let's just get it. <laughs> the only way that, yeah. And then, and then it's interesting because in South Africa, our police have guns. Maybe it's because our police are part of the community. But when I get pulled over by the police, I do not, I'm not pulled over in a state of fear. I think that the police in South Africa don't think of your average person as a criminal. That's interesting. So they don't, they, they just assume that you're being naughty in a way, you know, like they don't assume that there's a house robbery that's happening. So they, they like divide civilian yeah, yeah, policing yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and police yeah. policing. So yes. if you had a... Oh, but you know what? You know what? But that's an interesting thing, though, for us in South Africa is we've, we have very clear distinctions about what police are doing, like different types of police. So, for instance, we have like the police police who go and like solve crimes and they go and arrest criminals and they investigate robberies and murders and those types of things. Then we have like traffic police. So when those guys stop you, it is because of traffic. Do, yes. do you get what I'm saying? It's yes. not like if a guy pulls me over and then he's like, sir, you were speeding. Then I'm like, no, I wasn't speeding. Then he's like, you were speeding. Then I'm like, man, I wasn't speeding. Or if he says you lane change. But I can have an argument with the policeman yes. in a respectful way. Where yes. it's, it's not like I'm saying he's an idiot or something. Yes. I'm going, I don't agree with what you're saying. Yes. And he goes, no, I'm, you know. And then we can have like a, a good old-fashioned like argument. And then he'll give me the ticket or he won't give me the ticket. And then I carry on with my day. Yes. Like, I remember the first time... Have you been pulled over in America? Well, we were pulled over while walking. So, yeah. Yes. Don't even need a car. You just License and registration, please. I'm not driving. License and registration, please. Oh, man. That was funny because... So, we were coming back from soccer. It was three of us. Myself, David, and Joseph. And so, you have three Africans who are, like, getting darker and darker in shades of African... It was an interesting mix, I think, for the police. Because they just saw us walking, we were just like on Ninth Avenue, and we had a bunch of duffel bags, because we were playing sports. Yes. And the cop just pulled us over, and he was like, gentlemen, can I ask you guys what you're doing? Where are you guys going? And we were just, we were like, we're going home. He's like, what were you doing? We were playing soccer. And he's like, can I see your bags? Can I? And what was interesting was, I don't think we realized we had been stopped because, like, at first we treated him like he was looking for, di- like, asking for directions. Yes, because it was so out of the ordinary. Yes. Yeah, I was waiting for him to be like, "Do you know where, like, halal guys is?" <laughs> then I tell him, "Yeah, I think it's on fifty third, fifty third, maybe." And there's a gun pointed. Then you're like, "Sorry, there's a gun in my face." American cops like their guns. Yeah, they do. America likes its guns. Remember. Because in South Africa, we don't, like, like our guns in the same way that America likes its guns. True. Like, it's... Okay, Here, here's the thing. I, I get why a cop would, like, hold their gun in a gun state. 
But in New York, I was surprised at how many times the cops would like, you know what I mean? Like they, they treat their guns the way we treat phones. Because I'm yes. always checking my phone. Yes. It's almost like those guys are always like, I wonder if she DM'd me back on my gun. <laughs> I got it. Let me check my gun again. I think she DM'd me. You up? You up? <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it was weird. And then, and then he, he, he stopped us, searched us, sent us on our way. And then I remember at the office the next day, we told people the story and they were like, you got stopped by the cops? That's crazy. And no one else in the office had ever been stopped by the cops. We had been in New York for less than a year and we'd been stopped by the cops. One thing that I will say is that I don't mind, maybe because of my car and my general vibe, I don't mind being stopped by the cops. Neither do I. Because of, but in my mind in South Africa, the cops are like sort of hall monitors in a way. Right. They're just driving around going like, yo, stop doing that. Can I see this thing? Pull up do your you pants. That? Yes. yes. And then so I never feel in danger. I also, I don't mind getting stopped. In fact, I've, getting stopped is like an interesting part of my day. You know what I mean? Yes. So I'll give you an example. One time I was driving uh, in, in Johannesburg. I was going downtown. There was a roadblock and the cops pulled me over. And then the policeman came up to my window and he was like, sir, can I please see your license? And I was like, here we go. Then he's like, okay. Then he checked the registration of the car. Then he's like, sir, I need you to step out of the vehicle. Then I was like, why? Then he said, because I'm going to search. I want to search your car. Then I was like, what are you searching the cars for? Because they're searching every car. Yes. Then he said, we are searching for weapons and drugs. Then I said, but I don't have weapons or drugs. Then he was like, you don't have. Then I was like, no, but you can search. Then he's like, no, if you don't have, that's fine. <laughs> then I then I drove away. Yes. And like I'm I didn't even think this was a weird I was like, no, no, I I'm saving you time here. I yes. mean now people think it's crazy. But in my head I was going, no, no, I get you're doing your job. Yes. And I can save you some time. And then my friend, my friend Kaya tried to do that once. I told him what happened. Then he was like, Wow, what a great way to get out of drinking and driving charges. And then one day he had had a bit to drink. And then he he thought it was just like a Jedi mind trick. And they said, sir, we need to breathalyze you. And he said, go ahead, but I haven't been drinking. And the cop was like, oh, okay, let's go ahead. Then he was like, wait, 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 wait. Maybe I drank a glass or two. Yes. Maybe I drank a yeah. glass or two. <laughs> Don't go ahead, but I have been drinking. In my mind, it's not harassment. They are just constantly checking that just... Like, their whole monitors is a nice yes. way to put it. And so when I got pulled over in America repeatedly, I was like, oh, it's the exact same thing. Yes. Until I found out that all of my white friends and all the white people we work with have never, and when I say never, I'm not exaggerating, have never been stopped or pulled over in their lives. And so now, to be fair, I'm a black person. Uh-huh. And so as a black person, I understand that the world is a certain way. Like there, there's racism. Racist, yes, racist, there's no. Racist. I mean, not to say that people are racist. Like everybody's racist, but I understand that people have certain prejudices, just like I have certain prejudices. And what I feel is, if I'm going to be a black person in America, cool. But then why do I have to be killed? That's the, like the real. If you're going to stop me, because you were talking about stopping. Yes. If I just tell people that guys, I get stopped a lot. And then I have to show them all this kind of stuff and right. then I keep it moving. Yes. Then I would understand you got to do your thing. You grew up in a racist world. You got to do your thing. You know, like sometimes you want to get that racism out. And then you see a black person <laughs> and you're like, ah, I got to get it out. You know, that kind of thing. Cool. So I'm there for you as I'm, I'm very much there for you. But then there are levels. So you can come. If I'm with a bunch of white people, let's say. Yes. 
And then I'm the black person in the group. And the police stopped me. And they were like, you, we want to search you. And then they searched me only. Yes. And then my white friends were just looking at me yes. being searched. And then they said, okay, fine, you can go on. Then most people would be like upset. They'd yes. be like, I can't believe, you know how sometimes white yeah, people yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Then they would try and protect you. David, or- can I just say, oh my God, we're going to, I'm going to like launch a complaint. I'm going to, David, we're not going to let this rest. Yes, exactly. We're not going to, and you're just like, I'm fine. Let's no, move I'm, on. it's not about being fine. I would say that what what I would like is to hit those little, search me, search a lot of black people a lot and don't kill us rather than having it all pent up and then you pull out an AK-47 <laughs> when I'm looking at my phone. On a serious note, where you like can kill me for a cell phone. This is the part that is crazy. So I don't mind. You don't a, mind the irritation. I don't mind the irritation of racism because the world has a history and the world is the way that it is. Huh. So it's like, but when it starts to impact me in these extreme ways, yes. then I'm like, no, guys, we need to, you know. I remember in South Africa, cops would pull me over because my car was yes. nice. And then like one cop said, he pulled me over. And then I was like, is something wrong? Then he said, the only thing that's wrong here is that I'm not inside this car with you, my friend. <laughs> then he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. This thing looks fast, my yes. man. Now, flash to America. I get to the US. Jerry Seinfeld told me to go driving. He was like, Trevor, you got to drive. And I was like, Jerry, you can't drive in New York. Then he's like, that's a myth. And so Jerry told me, he said, you should rent a sports car on a weekend and then you should go drive in the mountains in New York. And he told me about these fantastic roads that are out in the mountains. And I was like, this is amazing. And it's having a great time, it's beautiful, twisty roads and it's gorgeous. We've driven it. I think I've yes. taken you. And I'm driving. A cop car pulls me over. Now, mind you, where the car pulls me over, it's just like there's a bunch of us. We're at a at a giant roundabout. Yes. You know, so everyone's driving slowly. License and registration. Thank you very much. Then he's like, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, no, officer, I don't. Which, by the way, I, I don't like that question. I don't know why it's got to be like a multiple choice. Just tell yes. me why. <laughs> I don't understand why I'm doing your job now. Because yes. in South Africa, the guy just tells you, hey, I pulled you over because of this. Yes. And then America's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I'm not, even if I knew, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yes. Do you think I'm going to be like, is it because my car's not yes. registered, officer? Yes. So he's like, do you know why I pulled you Which over? Which guillotine would you Exactly. Like? Yeah. So he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? Now, remember, I've just come to America. I'm in the mood of South Africa. It's beautiful. The weather's great. I'm driving around in the Catskills or whatever it's called. And so he said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, shouldn't you be the one telling me that? <laughs> Good times. I mean, this is humor. You know, you know what they say. Uh, you know, a, a laughing jury is not, not a, a hanging, hanging jury. jury yes. Turns out that's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> they can laugh because they're hanging you. Yes. Because this guy, he like smirks and then he's like very funny. Pulled you over because you were speeding. And I said, Oh no, I, I I don't think I was speeding. Then he's like, You were speeding. I'm I'm telling you, you were speeding. Then I'm like, A second ago, you didn't know why you were pulling me over. <laughs> now you're telling me that you know it's because I was speeding. Then he's like, I know you were speeding. I said, okay, how fast was I going? Then he says, you were going at least 60 in a 40 zone. Then I was like, at least. But I was like, how how fast exactly was I going? And then he gets angry. You were going at least 60. Then I was like, at least. Do you have, where's your, your radar gun or your, your laser gun or whatever? And then he's like, I don't need one of those to know how fast you were going. I, I was parked, I saw I saw a bunch of ca- cars drive by, and then yours flew by, and I saw you were going at least 60. Then I was like, okay, like, now here, my man, we need to pause, because speed is relative. The car I was driving in was loud. 
It was loud and it was a neon color. I didn't choose this color. It's the only car they had available. So the car looks and sounds like a douchebag. I'm not going to front. I would pull me over as well. In fact, when the cop pulled me over, I was like, yes, you're doing the right thing, cop. Yes. I would pull me. This car's meant to be pulled over. It's a douchebag car. Yes. So this guy's telling me how fast I went. He has no proof whatsoever. He just goes, I feel like you were going fast. Yes. Proceeds to shit on me. Then I, I'm, I said, no, I, I reject your premise completely. Lost his shit took my license, took everything. Then he's like, I'm going to lock you up for reckless endangerment. I'm going to get out of the car. Like, it was now this chaos. And now my passenger's American. And my passenger, he was like, we are going to die. Yes. Because the cop, like, took everything, left and went to his car. And then my American passenger turned to me, my friend, and he was like, dude, please shut up. You're going to get us killed. I was like, get us killed for what? I've never seen a person so terrified because he'd been quiet the whole time. Yes. And then when the cop left, he spoke. And he's like, please, when that cop comes back, just say, yes, officer, no, officer, I'm sorry, officer, yes, officer, no, officer, I'm sorry, officer. Yes. I, I saw the terror of my American passenger. Black American passenger. Yes. Yes. And then I was like, oh, I, I like, I'll almost do this for you because you are not having a good time. Yes. And then the cop came back to the window. And then I was very much like, yes, officer, I didn't mean to to insinuate or say that you didn't know what you were doing, officer. I was I was just... And then the cop was like, yeah, look, just don't. Don't, you know, there's kids out here. But then I, I like, I, I haven't gone driving there ever since. It's a weird feeling to think that a traffic stop could end your life. Yeah. You know what I feel bad for? I also feel bad for police who are great police. And then we have these bad apples who are doing a terrible job. And the job is so terrible that we... We like have to, we tarnish everyone. It's an interesting thing to say when you say bad apples, because some would argue the bad apples argument is nullified by the fact that fellow police don't rat out bad apples. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's like there are police who enable bad appleism within their departments. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. If you're in the police force, you have come to police the public, uh -huh. not to police the police force. So what you need is police of the police. I disagree with that, though. I think you are there to enforce the law. You're not there to police people, in my opinion. And if a law has been broken by a policeman, then it's still a law. Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. But what I'm, I'm going, I'm saying like, okay, we have the police, and yes. they are, imagine they're pub, they look out to the public. But then my problem is then who polices the police? That's what I'm saying. So we need another police force. But then who polices those police? Then we need another police force. Then who polices those police? Then we need another police force. At the end, we're all judged by God. That's where you're going to end up. Yeah, no, <laughs> yes. But then, yes, so we need, but we need police who just come and like walk around in the police station and where the police are like, oh, here comes the police. And they just do that, that exact Jesus, stuff. Jesus, can I tell you? you how funny that would be? They do that in the, at the cop can shop. Can I tell you how funny that would be? They're like, here comes the policeman. That would be so funny, dude. If there were police, you know what would be a cool police force? Is a police force comprised of minorities or groups that have been disproportionately targeted by police. Yes. We make a minority police force that polices police. Yeah. But same thing. Stop and frisk yeah, all of everything. That. Like where the police go like, ah, shit, it's the police police. Yeah, they perfect. Yeah. That's right. It's I, the I police think. police. Yes. Hey, man, you know why I pulled you over, man? Yeah. I'm drinking my coffee. <laughs> Back up. Then they, like, just, you know, in the office. <laughs> yeah. In the office. All of that. Frisking. Yeah. Kowalski. Yeah. Get up against the wall. Shut up. Show me your reports. Yep. 
There are those who enforce crime on the streets. There are those who keep us safe. And then there are those who keep us safe from those who are supposed to keep us safe. Yeah. It's the police, police. <laughs> whip, whip. Police, police. Police, police. It's the police, police. Yeah. They're just behind the yeah, police. At a stop, at a stop. Happens, the yeah. police, police arrive. Cop comes. Excuse me, sir. Do you know why I pulled you over? Hey, man, you know why we're pulling you over? God damn it, I'm trying to do my job. And I'm doing my job. That's right. It's the police police. Yeah. That would be fun with their with like a backward siren and everything. <laughs> yeah. Whip, whip. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. The craziest one would you'd see how police would run. <laughs> like when they're like, where the police running away? The police police are here. Well, you know what? Actually, Dave, it's funny that you say, what are the police doing? Who are the police doing it to and why are they doing it? Because today, today we're very lucky. We're joined by Edwin Raymond. He's an officer with the New York City Police Department. Now, he's not a guest, Dave. We just need to talk about your unpaid traffic fines. <laughs> Edwin is part of a group of 12 NYPD officers who have sued the police department to end the use of arrest quarters. So, Edwin, welcome to the show. You are, in in effect, you are police police right now. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank welcome. You, this is a, let, let's start at the top. Black policeman. Yes. Is that a paradox? Because um, because a lot of people feel like you cannot be a black person and be a policeman in America because the two are contradictory in terms of what they're trying to do. It makes sense. Uh, Basquiat actually has a famous painting called The Irony of a Negro Policeman. Um, speaking to that, civil rights movement is when you saw an increase in blacks in law enforcement in the United States. Right. Um, with the belief that once we get in, we you know we, our minds will get in and therefore uproot what's wrong and and you know fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, five decades later, that's not really what has happened with with uh, increase of people of color in law enforcement. That's that. How how long have you been a police officer? Uh, now? Uh, this is going on eleven years. Eleven years yeah. in the NYPD. Yeah, I started real young. How 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 young did you start? Uh, Twenty two years old. Twenty two years mm-hmm. old. Did you always want to be a cop? No. Um, it was a couple things put together that led to that decision. Uh, the main thing is actually to do what I'm doing now. I didn't think I'd do it as a whistleblower, but um, I, I knew I wanted to see what was going on because, uh, you know, I came from a high crime area. And um, around the age of 15, I started getting mistreated by police officers. Right. And, you know, by 18, three years of this mistreatment, stop and frisk, you name it. You know, I just got so frustrated. And I said, you know what, I, I need to join this thing to see what I can do about it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think it's two things for me. It's 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 optimistic and it's admirable at the same time to believe that you can join such a big institution to become part of the solution. So so you join at 22. Correct. You're in the police force. What is the training that a police officer gets? So, you know, I, I came in with very critical, you know, fine-tooth comb, seeing exactly what leads to the experiences that, you know, I'm having, my friends are having, and black men are having all over the country. And um, I was actually really shocked at how good the training actually was. Oh, I was, really? I was absolutely shocked by that. Um, the training, you learn police science, you learn the law, you learn constitution law. Um, then there's physical training, uh, certain tactics, uh, use of force. You know, you learn a, a plethora of things that you're going to need to to go out in the field. And then there are things that you have to learn in the field. Some things, you know, in, in theory don't always translate so right. well. So. You're saying that the, the training was actually good. I was shocked. So now... Because in the last while, we've gotten this information that the training is very aggressive. And it was like overly aggressive. That's what the media seems to be, the narrative that seems to be there. What I, what I end up learning immediately after the academy was the existence of uh, arrest quotas. 
every month we had a certain amount of arrest summonses and stop and frisk that we had to that we had to issue we had, we had to affect and I realized that's all that mattered. Everything else that a police officer is supposed to be responsible for, they couldn't care less about. It was about those numbers. And the reason was, that's what's incentivized. So f- fundamentally, what is what is an arrest quota? What does that mean? Like my quota, when I first, when I was a rookie, I had to arrest at least four people a month. I had to issue at least 20 s- tickets a month. And I had to stop and frisk at least 10 people a month. No, that, but... Uh, what I- is... I don't understand. Like they that, give you the yeah, number. but I'm saying I'm saying that makes no sense though because what if the person what if there's nothing happening though? Exactly, and that's why we start to get the issues that you're seeing, you know, that become viral when nothing happens organically. Yes, you got to make it happen. So what happens if you don't hit your quotas? You start to suffer retaliation and it starts to hurt your career, you know, drastically, which is why officers end up just going out there to meet their quota because they don't want to go through that. When did the quotas uh, system start? So. The way that the the contemporary way that quotas are done now starts in New York in about 1995 with uh, then police commissioner William Bratton, who introduces this this theory that kind of takes over policing in America. And it it, it ends up uh, go, becoming international, even uh, nicely, you know, in, uh, in Cape Town. It, yeah. it makes it all over to, to Gothenburg, London, and it's called broken windows policing. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes, this. Very problematic. Uh, this idea that you over-police innocuous infractions and the the more serious things will sort themselves out. It's, right. it's foolish, it's ridiculous, it's never been proven empirically, but yet this is this is this was the bread and right. butter in New York that was spread. It was a cancer that was spread first throughout the nation and then it jumped the Atlantic and went all over the world. Wow. So now, okay, so you, you're in the police force. You've passed the training, you've joined, you get now these arrest quotas. I feel like already we've like, this is a huge problem. Yeah, well, I have to add, so the arrest quotas were, don't don't dare, you know, like they, they don't exist in certain parts of the city. It's particularly, and you know, only people of African descent that you police this way. If you, like there are times when a white person would be arrested and you have to, you know, you have to go explain yourself and, you know, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's unfortunate. It's like in the movies where they're like, do you know who I am? It's like those vibes. Pretty much. Pretty Damn. Much. Yeah. You know, and, that, and, you know, as a young black man, it, it all started making sense. I started playing back interactions that I had with police officers, and I said, wow, now I'm starting to understand. He he was just trying to meet his quota. Yes. Now I see why a failure to signal became such a, you know, the crime of the century. Right, right, Be- right. Because he really just needed to meet his quota. So would you argue that, you see, with the um, broken windows theory, yeah. that basically worked in the reverse because what happened was, Police now had to, with the quotas, had crime. to had to. They created crime because they were trying to stop crime, o- almost. Yeah. Well, what ends up happening is you you again you you treat innocuous infractions as the crime of the century, but what you're doing is you're giving these people records, and oh, geez, when yes. it's time to go for employment, simply having a black sounding name yes. is enough to for you to not get the job. But now you. That you know, question number seventeen: Have you ever been arrested? You, you now you have to say yes to that, right? And they'll tell you, you know, so we'll contact you, you know. But yes. meanwhile, you're already done. you're in the shredder. Was this a like a written down policy, or was it like an underhand, you know, like, or was it one of those that we all know that is happening? But it was, yeah, it was absolutely de facto. Quotas are unlawful. Departments don't admit to them because they they're illegal. They're not supposed to exist. But that's how they operate. Pretty much any police department that has mirrored the NYPD style has arrest quotas. This is how I learned about this uh, being as far as Gothenburg, Sweden. I was shocked. 
you know. Um, but this pretty much, and in the United States, whenever they look for new police leadership, they always go to retiring NYPD chiefs. And what they do is they recreate what they know. After right, the Mike right, Brown, right, right, right. After the Mike Brown incident in Ferguson, Missouri, the Department of Justice did a full investigation. And they call it the Ferguson effect. And I'm like, that's just New York-style policing. You know, if you want to call it the Ferguson effect, go ahead, because, you know, they're, they're scared of New York. You know, the, the operational budget of the NYPD is $5.6 billion. Woo. Yeah. So they're a lot of money, a lot of power. As a, as a police officer, let me ask you this. What is it, like, what's it like? Take us through the, a day, like, on, on the beat, for instance. Like, has have things changed now that there's camera phones? Has, like, has policing changed? Has it gotten better, or, or are we just living in a perpetual state where it, where it goes up and down? So police departments nationwide have responded to the fact that policing is under a microscope in the last few years that it's never been under. Right. So on the surface, it's, it's a, how do I say, it's, it's new hardware running old software. So on the surface, it looks different. Okay. But in reality, it's the same antiquated, seemingly antiquated stuff that's still playing. Um, here in New York, I can speak to, obviously, is where I live and work. The department realizes it needs a different image. So there's a big PR uh, thing going on with neighborhood policing and all these other terms. The changes that have taken place, because yeah. there have been changes, are not because of the department's the department taking initiative from within. They come from federal lawsuits. Yes. Which is why myself and 11 other colleagues, we decided, let's do it. As, let's be the plaintiffs. Let's not just be that witness that's a cop that's willing to speak on behalf of the people. Right. Let's be the, the plaintiffs ourselves. Because if we can make history as witnesses, what can we do as plaintiffs? And this is, you know, why we decided to sue, which is, uh, you know, the police department is not designed for dissenting opinions. From I, I was about I was about to say, like, it does not seem like a welcome thing to do. Because in many ways, the police force is like a military institution. You don't go against your, 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 your platoon. You know what I'm saying? Let me ask you, this group of you who are suing the department now. First of all, what is the racial makeup of the of the 12 of you? All people of African descent, black, Latino. So is there a, is there an attitude towards that in of itself? Absolutely. In terms of the critique. Yeah, the, criti- the, criti- Absol- the critique from Absolutely. inside the... Absolutely. You know, we're, we're lazy. We simply came to get a check. We're trying to win the ghetto lottery, which is a term meaning for people, black, uh, non-white members of the department who sue for discrimination. Yeah. They call it the ghetto lottery. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks, colleagues. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that right there is already frowned upon. But I, I'm honored to be in a position to say there are many white officers who also call BS on what's going on. They right. know this stuff is wrong. Granted, they have a higher price to pay if they were to speak out because they live in cop like saturated oh, environments. Oh, right. They so live cop. Yeah. That's like, like a, yeah. They have neighbors. They're, every other neighbor is a cop. So you speak out. You know, I go back to the, I still live in the hood. I go to the hood. People embrace me. Yeah. They, they speak out and go home. It, it can be problematic for even the children. Dad was a cop. Brother's a cop. Exactly. Neighbors a cop. Cop friends, cop barbecues, cop exactly. memorial days, cop mm-hmm. everything. You're, you are cop community. Exactly. Do you think your style of policing is affected by the fact that you still live in the hood? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I empathize with the people that I police. I know what they're going through. I know what they've been through. I know, I understand the situation from a different angle. Right. You know, I still do my job. I still affect arrest when necessary, but at the same time, I'm able to, to be, you know, police in a very unorthodox style that the P, you know, it, it we still, uh, achieve justice without having to be overly aggressive. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it like in the movies, you know, in the small the small town sheriff kind of vibe? Yeah. Who knew everybody yeah. and was able to empathize because he knew everybody. Yes. Yeah, it was like 
Yeah. The guy who would say, now, David, how many times I got to tell you to yes. lay off that alcohol? Come on, man. Let's yes. get you home. Yes. You know that vibe? Because you're like, he's not a criminal. He's just like, man, he gets like this when he starts drinking. David, let's get you home. Yes. Get, let's get and you, you in the car. you knew that that one was really dangerous. And, yeah. the, you know. But, but now, imagine if that sheriff had a quota. Oh, Ooh, yes. Okay. Oh, now. wow. You got to treat David very different. Oh, David, I'm sorry, man. I, I know you just had a few drinks, but I got to lock you up. And then I got to stop and frisk you. Exactly. And then I got to lock you up again. Because there's only 10 of us in this town, <laughs> yes. David. So I'm going to need to lock you up a few times. I got to meet this quota. Exactly. I know this makes no sense. So, so the quota, that's procedurally, you know, something that needs to be changed regarding procedure. But there's still the culture. That's another yeah, thing. Yeah, no, that that's the thing I was going to ask is like, why wouldn't every policeman be against the quota? Because of the culture. That's where the culture kicks in. The type of discriminatory practices and racism today comes from blatant racist times that get interwoven into the policy and thus the culture. So this is why the average cop today, when, you know, when the community is outraged, they, they feel attacked. Like, yes. I, I, you know, I'm not racist. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, yeah, but if you simply blindly do your job and meet your quota, that's, that's racist policing because the quota is only in black communities. But you know, you have to really dissect it for them to see that. Many colleagues I used to argue with, not argue, but discuss these things with. Yeah. And it took a few conversations for them to realize, oh, wow, that is wrong. But yeah, man, this is why the community is outraged. Um, so in terms of the culture, for instance, four years ago, I got a training that was supposed to make us less physically aggressive. Yes. And the training officer was an old timer that said, you know, you know, after giving us uh, all these PowerPoints about, you know, different tactics we can use rather than using aggression. Yeah. He says, remember, guys, there's cameras everywhere. It's not like the good old days. So it's like, oh, just defeated the whole purpose, man. Yep. You know, do you think the idea of a quota gives the person who's been told that they have a quota the impression that they can meet the quota or the impression that these communities are full of criminals? Because when you have a like sales kind of situation. Yes. So you go, Trevor, go out there and sell 10, 10 apples. Got it. Granny Smith or? Granny Smith. Golden Delicious. Granny Smith. Okay, Granny Smith. Okay, so Got we it. go, you can go and sell 10. Um, uh-huh. I'm Granny a, Smith I, apples. I have to go sell 10 Granny yes. Smith apples. Got it. We are basing it on the assumption that they are their customers who will they be... They are apple eaters. Yes, they're yes. apple eaters. So I've when, now, you've now defined the place I'm going as apple... There's, there's apple eaters now. Yes. yes. So now when I say go meet these quotas, I'm subliminally telling you that there are plenty of criminals there. Everybody's a criminal there. Huh. Yeah. yeah, and this is why I want to speak... This is where I in, uh, include uh, implicit bias. So we have individualized implicit bias where I'm in a situation and impulsively I'm thinking and unfortunately... It's racist thoughts because of the society that I've been reared in. But right. then there's also implicit bias that gets it into the policy. Because it's because it's someone with implicit bias thoughts who believes that, that, oh, there's so much crime out there. Don't worry. You should be able to hit, you should be able to hit right, these numbers with right, no right. problem. And that's, what, that's the former commissioner. So even if you remove the quotas, it would be hard for me to, after 20 years or 10 years of having that idea that these that there's plenty of... Yeah. Uh, of criminals there to do this to, it would be hard for me to remove that. So you say I have to meet, it's just now a habit, almost. Pretty much. It's, yeah. It becomes the culture. Yeah. yeah. Is there any pressure that comes from even higher up? Because one thing I, I, I've always been intrigued by with New York specifically is how like the mayor will brag about how many arrests have taken place and they'll be like, 
crime has been brought down. We've arrested 75, you know what I mean? We've 75% of this and 80%. Is there political pressure that comes down on a police chief to then pass down to his police department that goes to the police officers? That's exactly the source of it. This does not come from the bottom. This is all, you know, pressure trickling down. Right. Because the sergeant is who's overlooked by the lieutenant, the captain, et cetera, all the way up to the chiefs, to the mayor's office. This is what it is. And, and the reason for this, two things. One, tickets become revenue. So unfortunately, they over-police in black communities. You give tickets, so when you go pay the ticket and the surcharges and all that, it adds up. It's millions and millions of dollars annually. For the city. Yes, that's one. Ah. Yeah. Two, there's an over-reliance on statistics. You know, the corporate America metrics to, to measure success have been applied to policing since 1995 under this system called Comstat. And it's, you know, it's good in the sense of monitoring where there are problem areas and areas that yeah. need improvement. But then people manipulate statistics and you realize instead of actually dropping crime, I could just increase my arrest and summonses and I can still be promoted. This is for, right, the, for right, the inspectors. Right. right. And don't we as the public also like it when you come and say, we have made these arrests? Because only until like pretty much now, if a, a mayor came out and said we have made... Um, 500 arrests. The assumption is I've, that criminals have been caught. Yes, so I feel better than if he says that we have made 50 arrests. It just seems better. I, yes, because the assumption is always that an arrest is a criminal. Yes. And only recently we've started to realize in society that anyone can be arrested but not, you get what I'm saying? It's just always, I remember as a kid, when someone goes was arrested, you're like, ah, oh, he's a criminal. Yes. And we grew up with that. Yes. And so as society, I think there was a tendency, and it's slowly changing now, when we hear the police arrested 500 people, you're like, good Lord, that's 500 people that I don't have to meet. Thank God. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Num the number one arrest for, for over two decades is uh, criminal possession of marijuana. That's the number one reason that people come into cuffs right. in New York City. That's completely harmless. And unfortunately, despite the Department of Health statistics that yes. show weed is smoked by everyone almost almost you know ubiquitously and equally over 80 percent of those arrested for unlawful possession of marijuana are people of color so the quotas and broken windows policing that's the connective tissue that leads to a lot of these negative encounters needlessly yes sandra bland failure to signal Philando castile uh tail i think the, the excuse was the tail light was out that, that's that's the paragon of broken windows policing innocuous infractions used as what they call a pretextual stop. You know, right. they use that to stop you, you know, looking for other things, believing you're a criminal only because of your ethnicity. Right. So if we eliminate the quotas, we get back a more organic policing where uh -huh. cops won't bother random people trying right. to meet a number. That's that's my, that's the only shot I'm going to get. They're not going to let me take another shot. So I figured that's the shot that I, that I could take that's going to give me the best ripple effect to eliminate these issues. A lot of times when I'm watching controversial situations that become viral, you know, I'm watching it from my with my police officer lens on and I'm like, man, this guy was just trying to meet his number, man. It's so that's, obvious. That's so, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. really interesting that because you can empathize in a unique way. If the quotas are a thing that don't actually exist, how do you then win a lawsuit against that? Because they're just going to say there are no quotas. So my colleagues and I, what we've done, again, just, just unthinkable, we pretty much deployed counter-surveillance on the NYPD. We we recorded the conversation secretly wow. of these things taking place. It's insane, yeah. I'm not liked much, if you, as you can imagine. Oh, um, yeah. I'm actually, you know. I've made a big mistake sitting with you because <laughs> I'm trying to become friends with the police. Yeah. I've always wanted to be that guy who gets pulled over and then 
pull out that special card that I've seen people have where I go, I am a friend of the police force. Officer, you may not know this, but I've been very kind to your charity benefit every year. I'll see you at the Christmas luncheon, my friend. I've always wanted to be that guy. And then he goes, of course, Mr. Noah, have a safe day. <laughs> but now hanging out with you, Edwin, yeah. I have immediately lost Sorry. my cred. Let, let's talk about some possible solutions. So, so, so we know this, the lawsuit is what you're aiming for. Yes. But what we like to try and do on this podcast is fix the world. Yeah. It makes us feel like we're doing something. Let's do it. You know? So let's propose a few changes to policing in general. I'm going to run for mayor, Dave, and then let's, let's change these things. And I won't make the same mistakes that de Blasio is making. My child will not have an afro. And I will stay out of the sun for a while. So that when I'm in the picture, you go like, yeah, we're not afraid at all about what's going to happen here. Yes. But then when I come in, we enact change. Change upon change, my friends. All right. So first things first, I'll propose something. And then Edwin, you're going to propose something. And then Dave, you propose something. So the first thing I would propose is this. Every police officer can only police the area that they live in. Are you against or for that? I'm with it. Why are you with it? It's hard to blindly enact a quota on somebody that you know you're going to run into when you're going to buy milk. Yeah, that's that's my proposal. All right, what's your proposal, Edwin? Um, being that the quotas are not through everywhere in the mm -hmm. nation, but one thing that is, it's bigger than policing, but it it'll definitely help policing. Implicit bias training. You know these impulsive, racist thoughts that we all have. You know, despite who we are, mm -hmm. we all have them. We need to acknowledge them and correct them so yes. they don't affect our our actions. It's interesting yes. that you say that we all have. All. Because I will say this. I have been shocked in America by how some black and Latino police officers will interact with black and Latino people, where sometimes they are, like, more intense with them. And you're just like, wait, but but you're black. Like, how are you? Do, do you know what I mean? There's almost like that, like an, like more of an aggression of, like, you're making us look bad, you little, you know what I mean? It's like, do you find that in the department as well? That, well, that was actually the, that was the, the the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. That was, it was after, after an experience like that that I decided, all right, I'm going. Because it was a Dominican cop that just embarrassed me. You know, he embarrassed me, he tossed me onto the fence, illegally searched me. I, I think he even left my... I was walking with my girlfriend at the time. He even, let, like, gave her his number on a piece of paper. Like, no yeah, way. I swear. I was 18 years old. Wow. And, I, and I'll never forget that. And then I remember thinking... Because before that, all the interactions were with white cops. Yes. So, you know, at, at 15, 16, 17, oh, he's, he's white, he's racist. It's, right, but right, But then when right. it was that cop, I was like, wait, what? He's black. Why, why is he treating me this way? And I said, you know what? Let me, let me go see what, what's going on in this place. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, an interesting, difficult conundrum that I try and explain to people all the time. I do not think that most police are racist, but I believe that the police force itself benefits from racism because the police force and the way people can apply their force is over or under monitored depending on which group they're applying that force to. Yes. And also someone who is racist that gets into the police force because of the design of the system, Yes, they can just completely practice their racism and it gets viewed as good police work. It's rewarded. Yeah, you know, it's dangerous, man. He's a hardcore cop. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right, Dave, what's your, what's your suggestion? My suggestion would be that you get the cops to fall in love with black Americans the way I fell in love with black Americans. Because I came to America just recently, but I've been in love with black Americans my whole life. And that's because I saw, you know, Eddie Murphy, Delirious, Raw, you know, right. um, 
uh, coming to America, you know, that kind of stuff. So the cops, there needs to be like, you we, you need to watch these kind of movies. That's and dope. See as these, part of your training. Yes, as part of your you training. Have, yes, you once have a you list. See, that's once dope. you properly see Chris Rock, that's then you're funny. like, ah, you know, like, that's I love funny. these people. You need to, yes, maybe, I don't know about Tyler Perry. That one, we'll, we'll have a big discussion on whether we throw that in. But you need to show people the cool black things. I like your idea. Okay, okay, we do that. But then how do they meet the quota? Oh, yeah. that's uh... (laughs) A lot of times people like to focus on the bad apples. We need to focus on the soil, you know, what's growing the tree that produces the apples. It's it's about the the systems, policies that that end up being those decisions that those cops make. Yes. You know, right now, the very, very controversial uh, situation with Eric Garner. When you're in a plainclothes police officer in New York... Your quota is four felonies a month. Wow. Untaxed cigarettes is a felony arrest. So you start to see why it's treated so aggressively. Because it could have literally been the fourth arrest that the officer needed for the month, the second, the third. This is why discretion is rarely used, especially with plainclothes officers, because they're under even more pressure. If you don't continuously meet that quota, you're kicked out of the unit. That unit is the way to get into the detective squad. Because of Law and & Order and all these TVs and movies, everyone, everyone wants, wants to, be, to a be a detective. Exactly. So getting into the plainclothes unit, which we call anti-crime, that's a step closer to the detective squad. But once you're there, you have to try to make as many gun arrests as possible. If you can't make gun arrests, you have to make felony arrests. Untaxed cigarettes, you know, selling bootleg CDs, you name it. These, these innocuous things. Edwin, thank you so much for Definitely joining us, brother. man. Thanks for having me, Kim. Good luck with your lawsuits. Yeah. And uh, good luck genuinely, thank like you, on brother. a genuine level, working in a department as a whistleblower and as somebody who's trying to fix something within a system that does not seem like it wants to be fixed. Yeah, it's a, uh, uh, yeah. Sometimes I even t- t- look in the mirror and say, what are you doing, Edwin? <laughs> you know, go, go find something to yeah. do. But then right. I realize literally millions of people are going to benefit from this. And it's, you know, it's an honor to carry that burden. Can I do the shameless plug? Oh, yeah. do. Okay, plug. so uh, a Sundance, at the Sundance Film Festival last year, a documentary that I'm featured in that explains this uh, called Crime and Punishment actually won the Social Impact Award at Sundance. Oh, wow. It came this close to the Oscars. It's called Crime and Punishment. It's available exclusively on Hulu. Check it out. Every day on social media, I get messages from people around the country who have seen it. We've taken it to London. We've taken it to Copenhagen, uh, France. Uh, I get messages every day. It really, it's a, you know, it's a crash course in what's going on and, and you know, you get a better idea of what's going on. What is it called, say? Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment on Hulu. Yes. You, you are already on Hulu. Yes. Just click Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment, the documentary. Officer Edwin Raymond, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. On Second Thoughts with Trevor Noah. Is presented by Luminary Media and Prologue Projects. The podcast is produced by Lee Hernandez with editorial guidance by Leon Nafak and Andrew Parsons. Our audio engineer is Terence Bernardo. The podcast is recorded at CMD in New York. I'm Trevor Noah. My good friend is David Kibuka. We'll see you next week. If you're enjoying this conversation, join us over on Luminary for a full catalog of episodes from the Trevor Noah podcast, plus even more coming September 2nd. Go to luminary.link slash Trevor Noah to subscribe and save up to 40% when you sign up for an annual plan. Not available in all markets and subject to local currency.
Terms apply.